What a joy uh, is communion uh, together. It's one of those things that we sometimes easily take for granted. Uh, but uh, if, especially for those of you that may be joining us, uh, anyway, slowly and sh- slowly and surely, uh, our people are coming back to worship with us. You know, and it's especially if this is your first time coming back. I know we've kind of encouraged you to kind of join with us, having communion online. But it is, it's so much sweeter together and, and to hear all our voices. Because online we can't hear each other's voices. But when I hear you guys singing, when I personally, I, and I'm hopefully you too, too, when we hear ourselves all singing in praise of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together, it is a, it's a blessing to my soul. It encourages me. It, it tells me that you too uh, hold that which is hold dear, that which we have all come here for, the, the common bond and the salvation of Christ, Jesus Christ who came and was born and lived and died for us. So what a joy. Well, thank you for your encouragement this morning. And uh, Lord willing, uh, may you be encouraged uh, now as, through, as we open up your word. And if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Numbers today. Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 to 14 is what we're going to look at. Numbers chapter 9, verse 1 to 14. So we're in the Old Testament. If you haven't, you're kind of joining us for the first time, you're not kind of new to church, uh, it's always hard to kind of know when I just tell you, turn to Numbers, where is that? Well, Genesis, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So uh, Numbers is between Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You can just turn there, you find the book, uh, or actually, uh, if, yeah, so it's the fourth book of the Old Testament. You can kind of turn around there and find it, hopefully, Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 to 14. And I hope that, uh, um, you know, many times you go to a church and you know most of the times you're going to hear a message out of the Old, uh, New Testament, but uh, we're, in the, we're in the Old Testament, and I hope that you will hear consistently that even as we preach out of the New Testament, that you'll still see that Christ is, all, is written all over uh, the, God's Word. And in the Old Testament as well as the New, we're going to see Christ, and then we're going to see that it's the same thing this morning as well. Anyways, it's November, so, oh, wonderful. It's November, and uh, as we begin November, we start looking forward to all our our end-of-the-year holidays, do we not? We look forward to Thanksgiving. We look forward to, of course, Christmas, and I guess you can even throw in New Year's as well. But these holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, are, are special to us, are they not? They're special because they're rich in tradition, in celebration, and meaning. For many of us, they, uh, they are, are involved, the, the rich tradition of celebration of, of going back to our hometowns. Many of us that are transplants, and in fact, a lot of San Francisco people in San Francisco are transplants, they go back to their hometowns around Thanksgiving, Christmas, or somewhere in between, and to go and be with family to celebrate. And, uh, and it's, it is a, certainly a joy to do so. Uh, these, uh, it, that's what makes these holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, makes, it's part of what makes these days special. Uh, it's di- certainly different from Groundhog Day, for instance, where, you know, it is a holiday, not a national holiday, but it's a holiday, and uh, uh, that we really, for most of us, have no understanding of tradition, or we don't celebrate it, and it has very little meaning to us. But Thanksgiving and Christmas are special holidays for us, in, not only as Christians, but even as Americans as well. Now, in the biblical Jewish calendar of holy days, there were three major holidays, and they, these three major holidays involved a return, not so much to their homes, but a return to Jerusalem, where each time, they, three times a year, they would go to Jerusalem, and they would be with, in a sense, their family, because they really are one family. They're all the, the descendants of Jacob, of Israel. They all belong to the family where they would celebrate, they would remember, they would commemorate uh, these special days of meaning for the Israelites. 
the, one of the days was the feast, was called the Feast of Weeks. That would take place around our May and June, commemorating the, the, the completion of the harvest, uh, God's provision for Israel. The Feast of Booths is another day when they would gather around September, October, and that would commemorate the time when they all lived in, in tents while they, after the Exodus. So also remembering how God protected, provided, and led, and led them uh, throughout uh, the time of Exodus. But the last holy day, and the most significant of the holy days, in my opinion, is, occur, is the Passover. It occurs around March, around April time, and which is the subject of today's sermon. Passover, if you will, it was the equivalent of our New Year's Day, Independence Day, Thanksgiving, and Christmas all rolled into one. It was a, it was a special day, and, and, that it, and it was the first of all the holy feasts of the Lord. In fact, it began their year. So it, was, it ha- occurred on the first, it, it, in fact, when it was instituted, it changed their calendar, where what was traditionally the fourth month became now their, their fourth month, according to God's instruction. And like any holiday, Passover is a, tradition, is a holiday that's rich in tradition, celebration, and meaning for the people of God, for Israel. But it's not just rich in meaning, tradition, celebration for Israel, but as worshipers of God today, though we are not instructed to celebrate or observe the Passover as, as mentioned here in the text, there is still much significance and meaning for the Passover. What it means and the significance is still relevant for us today, for those who believe in Christ. And we'll, hopefully you know that, but we'll get there if you don't. And as we study this passage, the details surrounding this second observation of the Passover. The first one occurred on the, the night before their exodus out of Egypt. Here today in our passage, we've come across the second observance of the Passover, the second Passover feast. And we're going to be reminded in this passage, as God instructs Israel to observe the Passover, we're finding ourselves, we learn lessons about the priority of worship for God's people. The priority of worship for God's people. And that's kind of really what all of chapter 7, chapter 7 through chapter 10, verse 10, this whole section uh, does for the people of God who read it. Uh, chapter 7, 1 through chapter 10, verse 10, all take place one month prior to the events of chapters 1 to 6. And that's curious because that means the book isn't really written chronologically. So why does God go backwards uh, to tell them what reminded them, at least for the uh, first generation, what just took place a month ago? Why does he do that? Why does he got it recorded in the word, in the way that he records it? And we've concluded that the purpose was so that it would be served for that generation, but for the second generation and for all future generations, that it would serve as a reminder to remember how you started. Remember how you began as faithful worshipers of the Lord. And that's, that's this whole section. And we've seen that. Uh, We've seen this, they reminded the priority of worship when, in chapter 7, when all their leaders came and dedicated, uh, made a, gave a dedication offering for the altar of the temple, all of their free will. It, remind, it reminded them of the priority of worship with, in the, through the, the blessing of the Lord that was symbolized in the lampstand uh, that, the, uh, that Aaron and the priest were to take care of. They reminded them of it uh, when, that they, through uh, this uh, of the the that they all belong to the Lord, and that's why they worship the Lord. In the instructions regarding the Levites, who basically were representatives of the firstborn sons of Israel, and today's passage does the same thing. It reminds Israel of how they were delivered, how they were saved out of Egypt, in the observance of the Passover, and God calls them to worship because of it, to observe this calling to worship. 
And this becomes another reason for them to worship. And hopefully as we study it this morning, we're going to find just for ourselves encouragement for us to continue to worship. And I know in a sense, um, you know, do we need to hear a passage that encourages us to worship? Uh, for those who are already gathered here on Sunday morning to worship? Well, I, in a sense, we're preaching to the choir. But I think for all of us, as we're going to look, and then hopefully we'll examine our hearts, that we all have areas to, in our hearts that we can probably look at when it comes to our attitudes, our perspectives about worship, that I hope will be edifying to you this morning. So for our outline today, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to walk through this command to observe the Passover the second time. And there are three events in this passage, three observe, uh, surrounding the observance of the second Passover that remind God's people to worship Him, to worship Him and so, uh, with, as, a, as a priority because, and that's how they began. And for all generations and generations to us today, the Passover uh, and the events of the Passover, uh, many of it, it's, it just reminds us of our need and our priority to worship the Lord as well, okay? So the first point, the first event that takes place is in verse 1 to 5, the call to observe the Passover. So Israel is called to observe the Passover. They're reminded to observe the Passover. Um, <laughs> it was the very, it was really the second time. They had already observed it once, and now we're going to observe it a second time. Verse 1 to 5, let's listen to the word of God. Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall observe it at its appointed time. You shall observe it according to all its statutes and according to all its ordinances. So Moses told the sons of Israel to observe the Passover. They observed the Passover in the first month on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the sons of Israel did. Verse 1 here, as this provides for us the setting, gives us the setting. Again, Lord is, the Lord here is speaking. He's giving instructions to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. So they're still, they're, they left Egypt, they're in the wilderness of Sinai, they're heading towards the promised land. It is the first month of the second year. And so uh, the first day of the first month was when the, temp the tabernacle was completed. And so it's in that, it's the days following that. We aren't really told here when these words are actually given. It's not told us the first day or the second day or the third day of that first month. We just know it's the first, mo first month of that second year. But we can just conclude, probably in light of what's already been written, of when this, day this, when this approximately took place. Remember the tabernacle was built on the first day of this first month? That's according to Exodus chapter 40, verse 17. And according to chapter 7 of Numbers, we learned there that for 12 consecutive days, uh, the, 12, the leaders of Israel brought their dedication offering for the, to consecrate the altar uh, as part of the, their, their gift to the altar uh, for the altar of the, of the tent, the meeting. And, uh, and all of that would culminate in verse 89 of chapter 7 when Moses then entered the tent and began speaking to the Lord in that place, and particularly in the Holy Holies before the mercy seat of God. So it's quite likely, very likely, that God gave Moses this instruction sometime either on the 12th day or the 13th day of that first month of the second year. Now keep that in mind. And, you know, so, well, why is that saying, well, it'll be significant in light of what he's going to ask them to do, right? When he's going to... And so the first part of the instruction is that Israel is called then to observe the Passover at its appointed time, at its appointed time. There's emphasis here to observe the Passover. That's the main thrust of it. 
observe the Passover, follow the Passover, do the Passover, uh, keep the Passover. And there's emphasis here, twice here, at its appointed time. That is, there's a specific time, there's a specific place that God wants his people to observe the Passover. It was, you know, it's not just a random day. It's not like us for Christmas Day. When's, when are we supposed to celebrate Christmas Day? December 25th, right? December 25th, that, that's how we celebrate. But is it always that day? Does it have to be that day? You know, depending upon your Christian tradition, right? Some of you might come from other countries. Well, actually looking around the room. Well, maybe some of you come from other countries where you celebrate Christmas on a different day. Throughout the, uh, in diff, depending upon your Christian tradition, you might celebrate on December 25th, on January 6th, on January 7th, or even January 19th. Is it a sin to celebrate Christmas on any of those days? We could celebrate Christmas today if we want. Well, you know, we could. We, if we wanted, though, it's technically not. We don't really have much argument that it's the birth of Christ on this particular day. But you want to celebrate the Christmas on the Christmas day. But for the Passover, there was a specific day that God wanted Israel to observe the, of, to observe the Passover. There's an appointed time for it. And that appointed time was the 14th day of the first month. So he's speaking to them on the 12th day, the 13th day of the first month. He says, I want you to observe the Passover on its appointed time in about a two or one or two days from now. Uh, and this is going to, and you know, if you have, you know, if I told you to celebrate Christmas today, uh, you'd say, well, I don't have enough time. And, you know, the way you do, normally celebrate on Christmas, there's just not enough time. All right, anyways, so this is a, there's an there's a instruction here, a purposeful instruction to tell them there's a particular time and you need to observe it this day. They would have, particularly they would observe it on the twilight of that day, in the evening of that day, on the, the, what uh, the Hebrew name for the month is called Nisan, Nisan 14th, the 14th of Nisan at twilight. So they would observe it on this particular day in just a few days, but not only were they to observe it on that specific day on the calendar, but they were told by God to observe it according to all its statutes and according to all its ordinances. That God wants them to observe it in a very specific way, according to his word. Now, all these statutes, all these ordinances, what are they? They're all laid out for Israel back in Exodus chapter 12 and 13. So two chapters full of instructions. That's a lot of instructions about how to observe the Passover. You've, and if, you know, if you want to... If you want to just learn more about it, you can go back there and read all the details. And just think about it. Oh, but I will summarize it for you. I'll summarize it for you. Each Israelite family uh, was to begin by commemorating the Passover by taking an unblemished one-year-old male lamb. And at twilight of the Nisan 14th, they were to kill that animal. They were just take and then take its blood. And then they were to apply it upon the, the door frame of their homes on that evening. Then they were to go into their homes with all their family, and they were then to have a meal together, a meal together. They were to have a meal that was composed of basically the lamb that was sacrificed, all its meat. It couldn't be, there was only one way to cook it. They were, supposed to, they, were to, uh, they were to roast that lamb. They couldn't boil it. You know, they couldn't just, you know, uh, eat it a little bit on the raw side. They, they were to roast it with fire. Not only that, but they were even told what sides to eat it with. They were to eat that roasted lamb with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. What's more, they were told they had to eat all the lamb meat. They couldn't let anything be left over. They couldn't put it in the Tupperware in the fridge and eat it next day. They had to eat it all that day together with their family or burn the rest of it with fire. That was, these are all God's instructions. What's more, the Lord even told them how to dress for this dinner. 
of this observance. They were to dress, they were to eat it with their loins girded, that is, they, their robes pulled up as if they're ready to go on a journey, as if they're ready to go somewhere. They were to wear, they were to wear their shoes, their, their sandals on their feet, you know, they're kind of like many of our homes. They, you, know, wear sand, you don't wear shoes in your home, right? Uh, but, you know, if you're going to go somewhere, you put on shoes. So here they are, they, they got to put on their shoes. A lot of times they would just go in, they have their feet washed before they go share a meal. Here, you know, there's a, that, that practice, but they were to eat it as uh, to symbolize the, the haste in which they were about to leave Egypt. And so God gave all these instructions, all these regulations, ordinances, statutes that they were to observe in the keeping and the observance of the Passover. And all of these are given by God, not just because it's just, he decides by random whim, but each of them have symbolic meaning. And we, we don't have the time here. This is not the place to, to go into the details. But the Lord does uh, uh, kind of summarize the, the primary significance of the Passover at the end of his, at somewhere in the middle of his instructions. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 24 to 27, we see the significance of the Passover. He says this, the Lord says, And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. So this is something that Israel should observe forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall observe this right. So it's not just this year, not just last year, but it's all throughout the years. When you get into the promised land, you need to observe this. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes, and the people bowed low and worshiped. You see, from the very beginning, God's instruction to He gave, gives them the meaning, the significance of this, this feast. It's, just, it's not just a feast to get together with family. It's not just a feast to get together with, to have a meal. It's a feast that has meaning and significance so that when you share with your children, your sons and your daughters, and they ask you, why do we do this? You can tell them that it, the, it has a meaning because it reminds us this lamb that we're eating was a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, that a life had to be killed, its blood applied to our home, so that when God's wrath, God's judgment came upon all of the land of Egypt, he passed over us. He showed mercy to us. Didn't kill us as we, we rightly deserved, but saved us. That's why we observed the Passover. It was a part of Israel's worship then, to be observed according to God's instructions, to remember their deliverance. It wasn't to be observed just whenever they wanted, when it was convenient. Oh, you know, oh, two days, that's not enough time. That's not convenient. Let, let me, maybe, like, can we do it on the, let me see, my count, the 18th? Can we do it and maybe a little bit later, a couple months from now? Can we postpone it? It wasn't to be, uh, they couldn't just decide to use their own kind of meat. Well, you know, lamb and bitter herbs, you know, I don't really like cilantro. Okay, it's not cilantro, but you know, I don't like bitter herbs. So, I don't, can I have, how about some turkey and gravy and turkey and mashed potatoes? You know, that's how you really ought to have a feast, right? Prime rib, you know, roast, something like that. Uh, okay, anyway, but no, God doesn't allow for that. God says you must eat it with this kind of foods. Well, maybe, let, hey, let's get all dressed up. Let's, let's just like, uh, let's, let's wear costumes for our party. Let's, let's make it a, like a ball, masquerade ball and celebrate. That would be fun, wouldn't it? As fun as that might be, that's not how God asks them to observe the worship, observance of Passover. There's a specific instruction, specific statutes that God wanted them to observe, specific day 
that God wanted them to observe. All of these are reveals that, that God wants the Israelites to worship, to observe the Passover according to his word, according to his word. See, in all of life, and particularly in our worship of God, the Lord desires obedience in, to all his commands and instructions in our, in, of, that he has given to us. God doesn't give us suggestions for worship. You know, it's like, you know, hey, when you worship, I mean, you can, um, why don't you try this? You, you want to do this? Why don't you, I suggest you do this. He gives commands. And when God gives commands, they are to be obeyed. He gives specific commands. You are to worship. When you worship, worship in spirit and in truth. He gives particular instructions. He talks about how we're to offer up our lives as a, as a holy and living sacrifices. These are not suggestions. These are commands. These are instructions. These are God's word. And when we worship him, we are to worship him according to his instructions, according to his word. From this, what we see here as well as throughout scriptures, we, the Christians and the people of God throughout history have developed a, a certain principle for worship. And the principle we, is often called the regulative principle, the regulative principle of worship. In the regulative principle of worship, our worship, all that we do in worship is to be done in accordance with whatever the scripture teaches us about the worship of God. So we want to worship according to it. So we don't just get creative in worship. Hey, let's just start, you know, let's just uh, start uh, jumping on our chairs as an act of worship. You know, something random and crazy. Let's just all uh, dress up, let's all, you know, dress up in a certain way to worship. There's, it's, it's, there's no, um, no kind of like, whim to our worship, but uh, we're to worship in accordance with his word and his word alone. Now, having said that, with, with having understood the regular principle of worship, there is still among Christendom who, who holds this regular principle that there, even as he gives us, we, Christians may come, may differ about what may be good and necessary inferences about the commands of God for worship, for instance. And then the best example is just what I'm doing right now. God's word tells us to preach the word in worship, right? We're to preach and teach God's word. And so I'm preaching to you right now. But nowhere in the scriptures tells us to preach with keynote or PowerPoint, right? You know, and, but here I am. There's a computer right here. You know, these are not commanded in scripture. And so am I adding to the word of God when I use keynote? Am I, because it's not instructed in, in worship, but my application of the regulative principle is that I am to preach God's word. And if I believe that, and I as, a, as one who teaches the Word of God, believe that it is helpful in the proclamation of God's Word to use keynote, even at the, the understanding that there are, there are aspects of it that may detract, possibly detract from the preaching of the Word. For some, they, they might always be used to it and they can't even learn to listen anymore. That's always a possibility. But I believe that it is in the, in the, greater, in the greater way that it is a good. It's good. Just as you... Those of you that are sitting right now, or some of you are taking notes. Is that commanded anywhere in Scripture? Absolutely not. You know, we, we're commanded to hear. So maybe someone might say, oh, if you're not, if you're doing anything else but just simply hearing, you're, you're violating God's word. And, you know, but we wouldn't go that far. We would say that you believe, because I trust, when the preaching of God's word, your response is to hear God's word, and you believe that taking notes is good and helpful in you to hear the preaching of the word of God, Right? That's why you would use phones. Even the fact that we have Bibles, you know, the printed word is uh, not something that was necessary in uh, the Old Testament. They certainly didn't have it all, but we all have one. 
well, most of us are digital now, but we have our books that we use. What's more, when it comes to singing, we know where to sing to the Lord in worship, right? And so we sing to the Lord, but you're going to find from between churches that observe the regulative principle of worship that some are going to say we ought to sing only psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And to them, that means only the psalms, only, well, hymns. And uh, that they, sometimes some of them say it's only the hymns written, you know, 100, 200 years ago. Some of them may say it only has to be words that actually are, are explicitly in Scripture. And then there are those of us like as the Bible that will worship, we believe that we should sing, we are to sing truth to the Lord, but we will allow for songs that convey biblical truth, but may not be expressed in the exact wording of Scripture, right? We allow for that, you know, because what, to us what's important that we sing truth, sing back, uh, acknowledge that which is true back to the Lord. We sing the Scriptures back to Him, all right? And so, Understanding then, even as we have the regulative principle, we want to make sure that we worship according to God's instruction, that among Christians there is going to be, there's going to be matters of differences of conviction and conscience. And there ought to be very care, there needs to be care in how what we call, start calling sin or not sin among others. Now, um, I like, uh, I recently came across, an, uh, with regards to the regulative principle, I came across this this axiom, this motto that Ligon Duncan, Pastor Ligon Duncan, uh, a well-known preacher, pastor, used to sort of define the aim of the, of, uh, of the regulative principle. And he says the aim or the, of our form in, in, in the worship service ought to be this. We ought to aim to read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. And he means see the Bible in its ordinances. I might also add obey the Bible. But at the end of the day, and I, and I like that, but at the end of the day, the big question for any worship of God, and all of us here, individually as well as corporately, is this question. Do I, as I come to worship, do I, do I consciously worship Him according to His ways, or do I simply worship Him according to my own ways, to what I think is right? Or do I consciously think about what I'm doing right now as I, act, as I, as I worship the Lord is something that is in obedience to God's command. It's an act of obedience and when I come to worship the Lord. And that's our first, and that's, and, that, and that's our first event. Because of God's desire for his people to worship according to his word, there are going to be naturally times when people, well, people may, when people have questions about what is, what does God actually want us to do? Or there'll be circumstances which we don't know exactly how does God's word apply in those circumstances. And we actually see that here in our text this morning in verses 6 to 8. We get to our second event that kind of encourages us to prioritize worship. And that is this question about missing the Passover. The question about missing the Passover. Or really it's a question about missing worship. Missing worship. That's how I'm going to apply it today. The question about missing Passover. Verse 6 to 8. Let's look at what the word of God says. But there were some men who were unclean because of the dead person, so that they could not observe the Passover on that day. So they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, though we are unclean because of the dead person, why are we restrained from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the sons of Israel? Moses therefore said to them, wait, and I will listen to what the Lord will command concerning you. I, I really... You know, just devotionally in here, I really appreciate these men. I love their example. I just love here. Here are these men, they, you know, they, they had a reason. They, they, they had a reason to not be able to participate in, in the worship. 
But they cared about worship so much, they wanted to participate in the worship so much, that they, they, they brought their question to Moses. And it's reflected in the words. They, they had, their situation was that they had become ritually unclean, or sometimes we say ceremonially unclean. It doesn't mean that they were in sin. It just meant that they were richly, according to God's law, considered as richly defiled, unclean before the Lord. And God had purpose for that, as, uh, uh, as we've seen in previous uh, sermons. But they were richly unclean because of their contact with a dead person, right? Someone in their family had died. Someone had, uh, um, had died in their home, and they were, had contact, close contact. And so, according to the law, for a period of seven days, they were unclean. And in fact, back in chapter 5, verse 2 in Numbers, what was the Israelites in the wilderness to do with people who were unclean? They were to actually put them outside the camp. They were to be sent outside the camp of Israel, the camp of two million people. They were to be outside of the camp, this, the gathering, in the wilderness, by themselves. And there they would have to wait until their period of uncleanness passed. And in fact, it wasn't just a matter of passing days. Uh, according to Numbers chapter 19, there are actually specific instructions regarding how they were to go through cleansing. Uh, two, two actual uh, two actually washings that they were to do on the third day as well as the seventh day. And then after the seventh day, they would be um, clean and they could return to the, into the camp. But in, verse, in that same chapter, in Numbers 19, verse 13, we, we see a warning, a warning about, of, uh, about the dangers of being unclean and worshiping the Lord. I like this. I want to read it for you. There in Numbers 19, later, this is later on in the book, anyone who touches a corpse, the body of a man who has died, and does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from Israel, because the water for impurity was not sprinkled on him, he shall be unclean, his uncleanness is still on him. So there's a, there's a warning, he, he, God, we, that if you are unclean, ceremonially unclean, you don't purify yourself, but then you participate in the worship of the Lord. You, you defile the tabernacle. You defile the tent of meaning. Uh, later on, you would be defiling the temple. See, the Lord requires ceremonial cleanness when worshiping him. Here, we would relate that to the God desiring us to have a, a holiness as we come and worship him. They couldn't just observe their, the Passover and the ritual defilement. They, they were not allowed. Lest, it says, they be cut off. And that means death. And so, since they had received this instruction to observe the Passover on the second or the, I'm sorry, excuse me, the 12th or the 13th day of the first month, Passover is going to be observed on the 14th of that first month, seven days of uncleanness, um, and say they just got unclean that day because they, they're still asking, they're asking Moses and Aaron, they're not going to, they're going to miss the Passover. They're going to miss service. They're going to miss worship. And so that's a problem for them. I wonder if it'd be a problem for us. So they, want, they come and they ask Moses, they bring their oppression. And the, men, the wording indicates the, just their desire to be a part of worship. Why are we restrained from, preserve, from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time? You know, it's, it's, it's not that, the, it's not that they're not saying, why are we restrained from gathering with family? It's not family that makes this day special to them. They're not saying, it's not, why are we restrained from eating the Passover meal? It's not the feast that they're, they're, they're really missing. It says, why are we restrained from presenting the offering of the Lord 
at its appointed time. For these men, what was significant about the Passover, why they want to participate in the Passover, because the meaning of the Passover, the significance of it. It's, yes, gathering family, yes, eating a meal, but it was in the act of offering the, the, the lamb that was slain. They consciously understood that that lamb symbolized the death that was required to satisfy the judgment of God, thus delivering them and saving them. And that's why they wanted to, they had their question. Now, and they wanted to be a part. Now, for we as the church today, we are not called to observe the Passover as Israel did. As Israel did. In fact, there are, there are no, there are zero annual holy days that the church of Christ is called to observe. Not even Easter. God, you may consider one day more than the other. We choose to do that. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate Christmas. But really, every day of our lives, we should be celebrating Christmas and Easter. They ought to have significance for us because it's the meaning of those days that continue to have relevance in our lives every single day of our lives. But having said that, there is one day. There is one day that the early New Testament church committed themselves to gather together on. And that was Sunday the first day of the week. Revelation 1.10 calls it the Lord's Day. And it is the day that throughout church history, Christians, worshipers of God, who believe in the death and resurrection of Christ, have gathered together for worship every Sunday for as long as the church has existed. And we gather together to worship to remember Christ's death through communion, as we just observed, to remember it as we hear God's word, to remember uh, Christ's death as in, in our giving of offering, to remember Christ's death in the songs that we sing. And it's something that we ought to desire for, just as these men desired for it. And I wonder, how do we feel when we miss the corporate worship of the church for any reason? Are we like these men? Or how do for what reason? Why did why we get left out? Is there, is, there, is there a way for us to participate in the worship of the Lord? And I don't intend to guilt any of you, okay? Because I know we're uh, into, into um, prioritizing worship. But God wants us to prioritize worship. The worshiper of God who desires to present, um, who desires to worship him, to present our offerings of, of praise, worship the Lord. We ought to, when we miss worship, when we are not able to observe it, we ought to feel it. We ought to sense it in our, in our souls, in our minds, in our, in our hearts. There's something missing when I, when, I, when I can't gather with God's people. Because I want to come and I want to bring my offering to the Lord. My offering of praise, my offering of my life to the Lord. And there's something wrong when I don't offer it. Imagine if you had, if there's someone you really love. You love them so much that you want to express your love for them. So you buy them a gift, let's say a diamond ring, okay? And you, you, you want to show it to them, so you want to give that gift to them. You, you bought it, you wrapped it, you got it ready. You, you set a date to give that gift to them. But that date that you set, oh man, it's one of the stormiest days in all of Seattle. Storm, wind storm, wind gusts, 
news report saying, hey, don't go out. You're going to get hurt when you go out today. It's raining. It's dark. You, it's dangerous. Lightning storms. Oh, well, we'll just give to her some other day. Sure, it's, you could, right? Nothing wrong with that. You could do it. You could reschedule. But if you did, how would you feel? I think you'd be like me. You would, have been dis, you would feel disappointed at the thought that you could not give that gift to the one you love as you planned. Sure, you could give it to her, her another time when the storm passes next week, next year. But as crazy as it might seem, you, you throw caution in the wind out of love, you proceed as planned, and you go, and you give the gift that you intended to give because you know that it is an act of your love. And as touching as that may be, uh, that might be true, may not be true, um, God deserves our offering of worship and love even more. We should be more disappointed when we cannot give our offering of love and worship to our God who loves us so much and whom we in return love with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. What does it say about our relationship with the Lord when we miss, when we miss worship and, we, and instead of feeling something's missing, we feel relief. Let me confess to you, there have been times I've felt that way. I want you to know, it's, I'm, <laughs> I'm a sinner too. And I, what does that show about us when we when say, oh, well, I don't have to go to worship today. I don't have to gather with God's people. That's sin. That's sin. That's a sinful, because more important than gathering together uh, more important than gathering is really the, the it's, it reflects the heart, a heart that does not desire to worship the Lord. And I don't know about you, hopefully there's nobody here like that, ever like that. You can even be here and going through all the right motions, but your heart is far away from God. You're like, boy, when is, when's that sermon going to end? It's going long, but he's on 30 minutes already. Man, I, don't you know there's a, uh, whatever, activity game, activity appointment, uh, uh, you know, virus shot that you need to get today. Something going on. What does it say about our heart? You know, uh, well, the Lord didn't say because, oh, you know, hey, that's, it's okay. Your heart's not in it. No, just worship me when you can. Just do it when you can. It's okay. Or will he say to you, as he said to the church in Ephesus, you have left your first love. Therefore, remember, repent, and return to how you started, how you began, faithfully worshiping and loving me. Let's do that. Let's do that. In response to the sincere desire and question of these Israelites, Moses brings the matter to the Lord, and uh, notice he, he goes to the Lord. He goes to God's word for instruction. He doesn't just kind of think, well, I think it's going to be this. I think this is the conclusion that we should have. He says, wait 
and let me bring the matter to the Lord. And that's what he does. And in his, and when, after bringing it to the Lord, it leads to our final event of the second Passover that reminds us of the priority of worship. And that is the clarifications for observing the Passover in verse 9 to 14. The clarifications for observing the Passover. We read, we'll read all the rest of, the, of the, this passage then. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel saying, if any one of you or of your generations becomes unclean because of a dead person or is on a distant journey, he may, however, observe the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall observe it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it. According to all the statute of the Passover, they shall observe it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people. For he did not present the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin. If an alien sojourns among you and observes the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its ordinance, so he shall do. You shall have one statute, both for the alien and for the native of the land. The Lord gives his answer to their very specific question, but his answer is, we, we learn, is not just limited, it's not, a, it's, just, it's not a narrow decision, but it becomes a broad decision that applies broadly to, to Israel's life. He applies it not just to their particular generation, but he applies it to future generation. He doesn't just apply it to the one circumstance of because you, you were unclean because of a dead person that you couldn't observe Passover, but he also expends it to, you couldn't observe uh, the Passover because you were on a distant journey. Perhaps you were on a ship in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of the sea somewhere. And so God makes, gives an answer that is almost in principle form for Israel so they would, uh, they would understand the principle in its application as well as for this moment, but us, as we'll see, for future generations as well. The other... Uh, So, God's answer is this. If for any reason, for a reason where, a good reason, you're either unclean because of a dead person, you're on a distant journey, it seems like, and so, and though only two are mentioned, we could uh, generally uh, expand that to, it's like, there's that you have a good reason, a reasonable reason to not be able to observe the Passover uh, at its designated date. The Lord then says, he allows for a second chance to observe the Passover. He gives a second opportunity to observe it. Instead of the 14th day of the first month, he gives them the 14th day of the second month to observe, right? This story. And they can observe it on that day. And notice, even as he makes this concession, that they are to observe the Passover, nevertheless, in accordance with all of God's instructions, all his other instructions. While the day changes, the rituals do not. The rituals do not because the rituals have significance. They have meaning for Israel. And there's a purpose behind it. Even, to, the whole, even the idea of like, you can't break the bones of the, of the animal. What? That's kind of weird, right? Don't you break the bones sometimes when you're eating things? Don't, you can't even break the bones of the animal. Because why? Because there's significance in it all. Now, as many of you guys probably already know, in the New Testament, when Jesus is crucified, it will tell us that he, as the Lamb of God who was nailed on the cross, he, none of his bones were broken. They usually they break the knees. They break the knees when they to further the, speed up the, the dying process. They, they didn't because the Passover lamb points to Jesus. While the rituals are important and God expects them to observe it as, as uh, all in accordance with his instructions, it is the act of faith in its 
and what the rituals and the observance, what they point to, what they symbolize that makes their worship acceptable to the Lord. It's as Moses, we learn in Hebrews eleven twenty eight. this is by faith, Moses kept the Passover. Even in this observance, to apply that blood over the doorpost was, was an act of faith. And we see this, the emphasis on, the, on the, faith, uh, the faith that is necessary in worship. Yes, outward forms are, uh, that God gives us are important. They should be obeyed. But God is, looks primarily at the heart. And we see this story, this revealed to us in a story that it's kind of obscure, but it has to do with the king Hezekiah. You know, uh, king Hezekiah, is, we find the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and 30. Now, Hezekiah, unlike his father's, he was a southern kingdom uh, king. When he came to, all his fathers were wicked and he, his fathers were wicked and he, they did not, they had all practically lost all the, the practice of temple worship, uh, of the observance of the holy feast. But when Hezekiah came into his throne, he restored temple worship. He went through a whole consecration of the temple and he started to restore the feast as well. And the first feast he restores is the Passover. And He's the king of the southern kingdom. Remember, this is a divided kingdom period. But he invites all of the southern kingdom, and he also invites all of the northern kingdom as well. He invites everyone to come to Jerusalem to observe and gather on the, on, on, on this, on the 14th day, not of the first month, but of the second month. You see... He understood from Numbers 7-9 that, that, that God allows. But they didn't have time. There was probably that time was passed. And he, but when he realized it, we're going to observe it on the 14th day of the second month. And everyone gathered to worship. And some in the north did not come, but some did. But unfortunately, some who came from the north came in a state of uncleanness. They didn't have their, their ceremony uncleanness taken care of. But we read what happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 18 to 20. Let's read this. For a multitude of the people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not purified themselves. Yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. They didn't follow God's word. They sinned. For Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. See, what Hezekiah understands is, is he doesn't excuse their sin. It's sin. When you don't obey God's word, it is sin. But he knows that God is gracious. He knows the, the, what is the most important in the worship is the heart. And he says, God, may you forgive those who have come to worship you, observe the Passover. They didn't ceremonially clean themselves, but... They've, they sought, he came to seek with their heart. For what is most important in our worship is not the outward forms, but the inward heart, the inward truth and reality of our, that we worship in spirit. Yes, the forms are important. Don't, don't miss that. But what is more important is the heart, the heart that seeks God in worship. These people were, were, were acknowledging that the Passover reminds them that salvation is of the Lord, and through the sacrifice of the Lamb, their sins are forgiven. There is grace, and God provides that grace. And we see that, and, and, and so when we think about even our worship, we men, none of us are probably going to perfectly um, uh, follow God's commands. And uh, we, will stri we should strive to obey all of them, and, but understanding that when we fail, there is grace. 
It is God's grace. And therefore, we should show that grace towards others. We, uh, and um, <clears throat> just as, and, but emphasize primary, first and foremost, the heart. He warns uh, in verse, having provided this exception, God warns the people of, of taking the Passover lightly. Um, he knows that just that the human nature is that as soon as he kind of gives this exception, though, oh, you missed the first day, the first month, or you can observe it on the second month. That in some way, in some people's minds, they're going to start thinking, well, I guess Passover is not that important. I guess if we can kind of not follow that particular instruction, well, maybe we can not follow these other instructions too. And that's human nature. That's, that's sinful flesh working out. That's even in our worship. You know, oh, God's going to forgive me. Therefore, it's okay if I, if I don't do that command. It's okay if I don't worship him every Sunday, right? And certainly God allows for us to, to go travel and things like that. But, you know, there, there's, there is, there's grace. In fact, verse 13, he warns them that someone who is able to observe the Passover, if you're able to observe the Passover, but you neglect it nevertheless, that person will be cut off from his people. And that means that cut off, that means that it's put to death. Because the reason for it, the reason for it even is that if you don't by faith observe the Passover, that is you don't by faith acknowledge that the Lord's provision for, your, for the forgiveness of your sins is from the Lord, then you're, then you're basically saying, I don't trust in God's provision. And God says in verse 13, then that man will bear his sin. Because you don't come in faith to worship, your sin is still upon you. You're still going to be, you'll be held accountable for the sin in your life. Without the offering of the Lord, his son Jesus Christ, then which all these elements point to, ultimately it's the Passover lamb. Jesus is the one who is the, one who is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Without him, we could not worship the Lord. And it's, therefore, we gather every week because we come together to proclaim the Lord's death. We do it not just in communion. We do it every, almost every element of our service. Hopefully, that doesn't make us morbid, but that makes us joyful, I hope. Because even in the Lord's death, there's life for us. The one who rejects this, however, who rejects worship, who rejects uh, the worship that God calls to to approach him in in the worship in the, that is in uh, in faith in the Passover Lamb, shows ultimately an absence of faith that really that may reflect a heart of unbelief. And so, in a similar way, today, people of God of faith, we worship each week. We come and present our offerings to the Lord in our worship. We worship. As those who are clothed in Christ's righteousness, we come in faith in the, in the Passover lamb. We worship in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We sing in and of his name. We, we read and preach and hear his word. And it's in him that we come to worship in Christ. Not once a year, but every week, every Lord's Day as a congregation. And yes, and when we go into our, our own lives, every day of our lives, daily, by how we live. As the Lord further instructed, the Passover is not just limited to the Jews as well, but he, lives, he allows anyone, even the sojourner, the one who lives among God's people, who takes their ways, takes their God, who in fact even goes to, not mentioned here, but mentioned in, uh, in the law, earlier in the law, that they go through the process of circumcision and, and become identified with God's people. They too are allowed to observe the Passover. See, God's word, he says, his observance of Passover applies to them as well. There's one one word of God, one law that applies to them all. And 
and they, whether you are a Jew, whether you are a Gentile, who t- turns in faith to the Lord, all may, have, may worship him through the provision of the Passover lamb. Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So as those who have been trusted in Christ's ultimate, God's ultimate Passover lamb for our deliverance and salvation from judgment, our sin, let us as people continually worship him together and walk in holiness as his people. I hope you don't walk away here thinking we have to observe the Passover. But you know what? There's a passage in the New Testament that actually says we are to observe the Passover. And I want you to turn with me one last page in your Bibles, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 to 8. Here, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth that was all messed up, full of sin. You know, they were like, they were like the church in San Francisco, you know. Just, that's, oh, don't take offense, okay? Uh, you got to know your sin. We're, we're sin because before we know that we need a Savior. But he's writing to this church that was just characterized by sin, and he encourages them. These are all who, who and he writes this, uh, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, a leaven. I didn't mention earlier, but I forgot to look down, that for, that they were to, before they observed the Passover, they were to clean out all the leaven out of their homes. That, that's part of the celebration, too. They couldn't leave leaven in their home at all, and that's why they were to eat unleavened bread. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. He's talking about the Passover. Christ is our Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed for us already. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. Not the Old Testament Passover, but the New Testament Passover. The Passover of Jesus that is represented in Jesus Christ. Not with old leaven, not, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. It is not with your sins. Not by continuing to live our lives in sin with malice wickedness. But let us live our lives. Let's celebrate the feast daily with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us live with sincerity and truth. Let us live in sincerity uh, in our devotion to the Lord and in truth, according to truth, in our worship of the Lord. Let us walk in holiness. And in that way, we are celebrating the Passover. Just as we might, we could say we celebrate, we can celebrate Christmas and Easter all the, all the time, every day of our lives. We can celebrate Passover every day of our lives by how we live in holiness and sanctification as those who have been saved and delivered for the Lamb that was sent for us to die in our place. Well, conclusion, God's people must worship him because the Lord has delivered us. And hopefully we've seen that. He, he encourages Israel to do that by the pass, observance of the Passover. And so let us worship him, not first of all, not according to our own ways, but God's ways. Let us worship him eagerly, not because we have to. And let us worship him in, in Christ our Passover, having acknowledged by faith, put our faith in Christ. And with that, let me just leave with you four questions. Just kind of maybe hopefully help you to think about your worship of the Lord. Is corporate worship a priority for you? Is it, is it something that you prioritize? I'm speaking to uh, not only those who are online, but I speak to you those who are here. You know, again, you can be here and, and the worship is not a priority for you. You just can't wait to get, you know. And, uh, and I say that because, you know, you say, man, why, is it, why does he know my heart so well? Because I've been there, brothers and sisters. Okay, I'll just tell you, this is real, okay? I, too, am a man of the flesh, and I feel sometimes the desire to be elsewhere than here, surprising as that may seem. But we must not let that happen because our priority is to worship the Lord. Is it, a, is it a priority for us? And as you worship, how is your worship biblical? I know you can just, you just take, my, you really, Stan, Brother Stan, Elder Stan is our, is our <laughs> elder overseeing worship, right? So everything with the worship service, well, it, it kind of goes to him. It stops with him and the elders. 
But I just want to point him out because I see him over here. I appreciate what Brother Stan does for us. But, you know, we don't just say, well, if Stan figured it out, if that's what he thinks, that, that must be biblical. Uh, it must be biblical. It must be okay. Oh, boy, Stan's feeling, he's sweating already. He's like, oh, no, please don't. He want, we should, every day when we, work, when we worship the Lord corporately, we should be cautiously thinking, is what we're doing, is this what I'm doing, is it biblical? Is it in response to some biblical truth? Is it in accordance with biblical instruction, command? Or is it something I just do because it just makes me happy? You have thought about that myself. Like, you know, sometimes I just want to raise my hand, you know. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, do I, do I really want to because I'm just feeling happy, you know? Or is it do I really do it because that is a, something that is a reflection that uh, do I do it in obedience to the Lord, that I want to lift my hands to you, O Lord, in the sanctuary? Do I do it in obedience to the Lord? Or do I just do it because I just feel good? Look at me here, buddy. You know, that's a, that's a, I ask myself those hard issues. And so you can see me sometimes on half hands because you can tell I'm wrestling with it, all right? <laughs> Anyways, in the last, uh, sorry, are you worshiping him? Are you eager to worship the Lord? And then do you, you want to be, do you want to worship the Lord? Desire. If you missed it, how do you feel? Are you worshiping him to earn your salvation? And this is a real important Or because of your salvation in Christ? That's really important. Coming to worship does not earn our salvation. Let's because of our salvation, because God has provided His Passover Lamb. I hope that's really happening. And I, today, by the way, is our the meeting for our baptismal candidates. All of you out there who are going to be baptized, and I hope that you you want to get baptized. You want to you want to do that, obey that because of your salvation in Christ, not be for your salvation in Christ, not to earn your salvation. And that's going to be in a few weeks. If you haven't been baptized, by the way. May I encourage you to just show up at that meeting today. And uh, Brother Ray, Pastor Ray, will, will help and get you set story forward and um, to worship the Lord through your obedience and the way that in worship by symbolizing the truths of the Bible, our salvation in Christ. All right. Uh, these are a couple of things. Hopefully you've been blessed and encouraged. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for our word, and thank you for this time. Teach us to worship you as a first priority in our lives. In <laughs> and we, we pray, Lord, that in, 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 the, in this service, but as, as well as in services to come, may we always strive to worship you in accordance with your word. May you help us to strive to worship you eagerly, and may you help us to worship you in Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Father, we praise you for you have, you have made and you have kept and you continue to fulfill your promise of blessing upon us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him to be the provision for, for our salvation, that we might be blessed. Lord, send us forth from this place with your blessing and to share our blessing, the blessing of salvation in Christ with the world that is out there. And help us, Lord, to love you, to worship you on our own individually uh, throughout our week until you bring us back again next Sunday that we might worship you together. These things we pray in Jesus' name for your glory.